You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Good morning, good morning, welcome. Welcome to church. My name is David, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, before we jump in, I just want to uh, give you guys a heads up of an event that's taking place next Saturday morning. It's a uh, faith and work conference that we have, and we've actually invited some of the top thinkers um, in this whole integration. How does our day-to-day life, the other six days of the week, connect with our life with Jesus? And so we have invited some people to come and talk about calling. How do we discern God's call in our life? We have invited somebody to talk about uh, just the meaning of work. We have some testimonies. We have a Dragon's Den winner. Uh, who's going to be uh, giving, uh, telling her story about being an entrepreneur and, and also being a Christ follower. So it's going to be really good. So that's next Saturday. It's just in the morning. And uh, you can register online. But I would encourage you to do so. So it's, some of you are just starting off in your career. This is perfect for you because it's going to help you discern vocation. Some of you are mid-career and you're trying to figure out those other six days. This is perfect for you. Some of you are retired. But hey, as Christ followers, do we really retire? Um, what does that even look like? And how does work look like when you're not being paid for it? Um, these are all the things that we're going to be covering in this conference. So it runs just in the morning. Um, you can sign up online. It's $35 uh, f- for the day. And here's the thing, though. Some of you are like, yeah, well, David, I'm actually out of work. And so $35 is out of my reach. That's fine. Just send me a note. We want you there. Okay? We really want you there. So that's coming up uh, next Saturday. Sign up this week sooner than later. Okay? All right. All right. So let's dive in. Last week, we began an eight-week journey through the lives of Abraham and Sarah. And we read about their story in the book of Genesis, beginning in Genesis chapter 12. And if you were here last week, you'll know that Abraham and Sarah, I mean, they're pretty important figures in the Bible. Um, And they're important because of their connection to God. That's where our significance is always found in our relationship with God. Now, 4,000 years ago, God called Abraham and Sarah to leave their home in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans. To leave everything behind and to go to a land that God was going to show them. And then God made this huge promise to them. And the promise is twofold. The promise is, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'll make your name great. And that through your offspring, all the nations of the world would be blessed. Now you have to remember that promise. Because that's the key to understanding the Bible. If you want to understand the thread that runs through all of scripture is this promise to Abraham. And we see how it's played out throughout the entire Old Testament. And so the story of Abraham and Sarah has huge ramifications, not just for the story of scripture, but actually has huge ramifications for our lives. Because behind this call is, is grace. It is God rescuing his creation. It's God rescuing humanity. Because we know that by the time we get to the New Testament, we get a a clear picture of just who that seed of Abraham is. Who that promised person is. And that person is Jesus Christ. And through his life, death, and resurrection, and through faith in Jesus, all the nations of the world will be blessed. All people from all corners of this earth can come to Jesus and receive eternal life through him. 
That is why Paul uh, describes in, in the New Testament, he says um, that those who are in Christ are what? Offsprings of Abraham. And so today we're carrying on in the story of Abraham and Sarah. And we're walking through what, what, uh, what Paul the Apostle in the New Testament calls, we're walking in the footsteps of faith. We're walking in the footsteps of faith. And so what's the faith that Paul's talking about? Well, he's talking about the life of, of Abraham. And he's looking at two, two, two events in particular. When Abraham is called out of Ur of the Chaldeans, you see great faith because here Paul, not here Paul, I'm talking about Paul now. Uh, Abraham hears this call and he trusts God and he goes. Where does he go? He says, go to the land that I will show you. So Abraham exchanges the known for the unknown and sets off and trusts God. And that's a tremendous picture of faith. And there's another really powerful picture of faith that we're going to come across in a few weeks in Genesis chapter 22. Now here's the problem. If all we had were those two pictures of faith, we look at Abraham, we're like, man, Abraham, you are quite the man. That's quite the picture of faith. We look at Abraham and say, this is amazing. But I could never have this faith. I could never be like this. I mean, look what you do. I, I, I could never be this person. Fortunately, we have all sorts of other steps of faith between chapter 12 and 22. And instead of being steps of faith, they're more like stumbles of faith. Where Abraham, instead of, you know, stepping up, he actually doesn't step up. And I like that because I read Abraham, I'm like, oh, he's like me. I found a kindred spirit because I stumble all the time too. And that's certainly going to be the case in the passage that we're going to be looking at uh, this morning. So if you have a Bible, turn to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 12. What we're going to be looking at takes place right on the heels of what we looked at last week. So Genesis chapter 12, we're going to begin in verse 4. Okay, you found that? There's a pew, one in the pew rack in front of you if you like. In honor of God's word, let's stand together as I read this. Genesis chapter 12, beginning uh, in verse 4. So Abram went, and when you come across Abram, later on his name becomes Abraham, same with Sarai becomes Sarah, okay? So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired at Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, a place of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord. And called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going uh, toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, he goes, I, I, I know that you're a, a woman beautiful in appearance. 
And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and then they will kill me, but they will let you live. So say that you're my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? That I, so that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders uh, concerning him. And they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with them into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich with livestock and silver and gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Father, you are the same God that spoke to Abraham who speaks to us this morning. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're not a philosophy, you're not a worldview, but you are personal and you act in the details of history and the details of our lives. And so we pray this morning as we sit, uh, we pray that uh, you would speak into our ears, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, that you would soften hard hearts and grant us the courage to respond to whatever you say to us today. We are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, I love this story. I love this story because it's a reminder of something that I'll say every week uh, from now on to eternity, that there are no heroes in the Bible except for one. That's Jesus. There are no heroes. If you ever come across a study, we're going to look at the 10 heroes of the Bible. Run away because there's no heroes in the Bible except one, that's, and that's Jesus. And Abraham is not necessarily a hero. Abraham, I find is a bit of a kindred spirit. Because <laughs> um, I look at him, and, and you know, his, his life of faith really is a lot like this. And I look at my life of faith, and it's a lot like this. I mean, this story is actually, it is about faith. <laughs> but the question about faith is this, what are you putting your faith in? Right? Who are you putting your faith in? Every one of you here this morning came here and you've expressed some degrees of faith. You had faith that your car was going to work. Your faith that the, the bus was on schedule. That your bicycle would work. However you got here, right? You had faith that, you know, this building's going to remain intact. The lights will be bright enough, you know, for you to follow along. And all sorts of things. You, you extend certain degrees of faith. And after you leave, you're going to head home. And you're going to hope that no other vehicles are going to cause you problems on the way home. We're all walking in the footsteps of faith. The question is, what are we putting our faith in? The faith that Scripture calls us to is a radical faith. It's a, it's a faith that one fellow, Martin Luther, describes as throwing yourselves on God. I really like that. 
throwing yourselves on God, is trusting that God can handle all of our life. And there's a big difference, I don't know about you, there's a big difference between faith up here and faith here. My challenge in the Christian life is learning to believe here what I believe here. Because I believe, you know, yeah, throw yourself on God, absolutely. <laughs> but how do I live? It often looks very different. So the question that, one of the questions that comes out of this passage is that when things get difficult, where do you throw yourself? Now, in this passage, we get this picture of Abraham and Sarah. They've been called out of the land of Ur. They're fairly wealthy. They're getting up there in age. It looks like Abraham's probably 75. We think that Sarah's probably 65. God calls them out of Ur and takes them to the land that he's going to show them. And Abraham, he does this. Actually, Abraham, it's quite remarkable. He hears God's call and he listens to him. God says, go to the land I will show you. And Abraham throws himself on God and he trusts in God mostly. Mostly. So let me ask you, when God calls Abraham, what does he tell him to leave behind? Everything, including his family. Who comes along with Abraham and Sarah? Lot. Now, he's not Lot part of his family. It's his nephew. It's interesting. Now, just give you a heads up. Whenever you come across Lot, it's a mess. <laughs> it's a mess. This comes back to bite Abraham over and over again. Because he brings his punk nephew with him. And everywhere he goes, it, it, it doesn't go well. Right? And I know, so why does he bring Lot with him? Well, we can speculate. You know, God makes this great promise. Abraham, you're to your offspring. You know, you'll make you into a great nation. Abraham's probably like, yeah, I'm 75 and my wife is 65. Lot's still young. Maybe, maybe he could, God could carry out this promise through, through Lot. Maybe. So Abraham, he throws himself on God, but not entirely. And I get that. I totally get that. And then we read that there's a famine in the land. Just prior to that, we read that Abraham actually made it to the land that God was going to show him, to the land of Canaan. We read that he sojourns through the land. It's kind of a strange passage because he sojourns through the land. He goes basically into the land, then leaves. But while he's in the land, we, we come across this pretty amazing passage. We read that while he's in the land, he builds an altar to the Lord. What does that mean? So he builds this monument to the Lord. And basically he's saying in this world of polytheism, in this world of hundreds and hundreds of gods, Abraham says, I will have allegiance to the only true God. That's what he's doing. And then we read something really interesting. It says, God revealed himself to Abraham. I mean, what would that have looked like? I, I don't know, but that's, that's pretty amazing. But then we read there's a severe famine in the land. Verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now in the ancient world, especially 
in the climate of, 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 of Palestine, that area, that um, it was pretty dependent upon rainfall. And so droughts, cycles of droughts, uh, was, was a regular occurrence in that area. And whenever there was a drought in the land, most people would head down to Egypt. Because Egypt was a little more drought res- resistant because it was dependent not upon so much rainfall, but upon the, uh, the Nile River, Right? Now, interesting historical geeky side note. I was reading this past week that um, there's this ancient document, an Egyptian papyrus, um, that, and, 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 and through archaeological studies and geological studies and historical studies, it looks like there was a major drought in this area, in, in the land of what would be, you know, the Palestinian area or whatever, um, that, um, that th- there was a drought there right around the time that the story of Abraham is taking place. Theologically, we need to pay attention to this. Because this, this whole story tells us a lot about how we walk with God or how we don't walk with God. One of the things that this story tells us, and we need to get this, and you, you know this, but it's good to be reminded, is that simply because you walk with God, it does not mean everything's going to go smoothly. <laughs> right? As soon as, you know, Abraham aligns himself with God, there's a famine in the land. And so we need to pay attention to that because sometimes I'll meet people, they, 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 they become Christian, they become a follower of Jesus. It's like, oh, my life was so bad, but now I'm a Christian and everything's going to go smoothly. And it doesn't. And sometimes that throws people off. But we, we need to remember, I mean, the, I mean, if we study the Bible, you see it, it The Christian life is not easy at all. It's hard. It's meaningful. We're walking with Jesus, the author of life. It's full. We flourish, absolutely, but it's not easy. And the promise that we've seldom put on our walls, except once at the Como's house. You guys had that up on the wall. (laughs) This one promise Jesus gives us. He says, In this world, you will have what? Trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. I mean, and the whole New Testament teaches us about the challenges of that happen when we align our lives to Jesus. And so the first thing we need to realize is that when we're walking with God, when we're walking in faith, it doesn't mean everything's going to go smoothly. Secondly, when things don't go the way we thought they would, more often than not, we're tempted to take matters into our own hands. Why does Abraham go to Egypt? Now, on one hand, it makes sense. There's a famine. There's a crisis in food production. But notice, what does Abraham do? Or actually, more importantly, what does he not do? Does he throw himself on God? Does he say, you know what, I wonder if, this, if, if, if the challenges that we're facing right now, maybe this is part of my faith journey. Does he even inquire of God what he should do? No. Not at all. I mean, it's not like he doesn't know God. God has revealed himself to him, Right? God has revealed him. So Abraham has some connection with this God. Does he even ask, hey, should I, sh- should I stay? 
Should I, should I head down to Egypt? What should I do? No, doesn't do any of those things. He never asked whether or not it was a good idea to go to Egypt. As this one commentator, Derek Kidner, puts it, he says, Abraham went on his own initiative, taking everything into account but God. Now, why does he go down to Egypt? Well, he's showing faith. He's showing faith. <laughs> he's, there's faith. There's food down in Egypt. But it's faith that is driven by what? Fear. There's famine in the land. And so he is acting in faith, but it's, it's faith not in God, but in his own know-how, in his own ability to get out of this mess and to get down to where there's food. And so it's driven by, by, by fear. Do you ever struggle with fear? Does fear ever affect your, your life of faith? Do you ever start the day well, Lord, I commit this day to you. I look forward to this day, and Lord, whatever goes in front of me, Lord, may I honor you and walk with you. And then, on your way to work, something goes wrong. And instead of trusting in God, what do you, where do you throw yourself? You throw yourself on your own know-how and your own ability. Or you go into self-protection mode or fix-it mode. Anybody ever go into fix-it mode? I do this all the time. So about a year and a half ago, I started, um, I started seeing a counselor. I was, I was just wrestling with some things, and so I saw this counselor, and, and he helped me see something that I never saw before. And this is what he told me. He says, David, he goes, you trust God in the macro, but not in the micro. I'm like, well, what do you mean? And I thought about it, and, he, and he's right. Like, I do believe that if I got hit by a truck on the way home, that I'd be in the presence of Jesus. I do believe that. I, and I believe that the worst thing that I could ever experience in life would not be the last thing, but the last thing will be eternal life, will be life, love, and the presence of Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that our lives will only work in so far as they're connected to Jesus. I believe those macro truths. But if I'm late for the ferry, or if I have to go through customs, or something doesn't go right in the details of my day, my first reaction is, God, I got this. I don't trust God in the micro. I don't trust him in the details of my life. I'm like, ah, no. Yeah, this is, uh, I have to get to the ferry and yeah, I, I, got, I, I, got, I got that figured out. I may break a few speeding rules, but I, I, I will, I will, I will fix this problem. Anybody else like that? Stand up. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is better than the first service. There was nobody like that, apparently. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now, the problem is, the problem is, is that when I take matters into my own hands, yeah, I make a lousy God. 
I end up stepping on toes. I end up, I end up just, just being a real idiot and, um, and not very pleasant to be around. Because I get so bent in my head, it's like, it's got to work. And I will work, regardless of what God's, I will, I will fix this. And I end up doing a lot of stupid things. I don't know about you, it's nice to know that my man Abraham is a kindred spirit. Because <laughs> Abraham, he doesn't even think about God. He doesn't even think that God can maybe help him in this. He doesn't consider that maybe, just maybe, God had brought him into this situation to deepen his faith, to deepen his walk with the living God. What does Abraham do? Well, he does what I do. He decides to fix things on, on his own. So he packs up and he takes his family to Egypt. Now, it is a step of faith, but it's not a step of faith in God. It's a step of faith that's rooted in self-preservation. So I had an old uh, professor of mine um, named Bruce Walkey. He's an Old Testament scholar, and I studied the book of Genesis with him. And uh, I remember him telling, uh, talking about this particular passage in Genesis 12. And Walkey talked about a friend of his. And the friend of his was, was a Christian but a, and a businessman, but he was doing some really shady business stuff. He had gotten into a bit of trouble financially in his company. And in order to get out of this trouble, he was doing some things that were really unethical, really shady. And Walkie called him on it. He says, you can't, you can't do this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you can't do business this way. And the guy says, I have to. You don't understand. I owe millions of dollars. I, I have to, I have to do these things in order to get out of the hole that I'm in. And Walkie says, you don't have to do this. You don't have to go down this road. And the guy looked at Walkie and he says, I gotta eat, don't I? And Walkie said, no, you don't. You don't need to eat. Not if it means it's going to kill you. It's going to do a number on your soul and it's going to hurt other people. It's better to starve and walk with Jesus than to become the kind of person that you're becoming. I'll never forget that. Now Abraham, as he heads to Egypt <laughs> and he's relying on his own know-how, immediately he encounters a problem. And he comes up with a, 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 a solution to fix the problem. What's the problem? Well, what if, uh, what if Pharaoh sees my beautiful wife? If Pharaoh sees my beautiful wife, Pharaoh could end up killing me. He's a powerful man. He's used to getting whatever he wants. And so he's, he's, he's worried that, that when Pharaoh sees Sarah, he's going to take her. And then what's going to happen to poor me? What's going to happen to me? You know, he seems to have forgotten this, this promise that was played out just a few verses earlier. So what do we find Abraham doing? He makes contingency plans. Anybody here make contingency plans for imagined scenarios? 
Now, Sarah is seen as remarkably beautiful. And it's interesting, I was reading this week, I was reading all these commentators, and all the male commentators were trying to explain how Sarah could be 65 and beautiful. <laughs> That's a little problematic, I think. Like, why couldn't she just be beautiful? And I think part of it is our forever young culture, we just have a skewed understanding of what constitutes beauty. She's beautiful. But Abraham has this new philosophy of life. And what's this new philosophy? It's like, well, better Sarah's defiled than I'm being dead. <laughs> better defiled than dead. And so he asks Sarah to pretend to be his sister. She does. And she's brought into Pharaoh's harem. So where are things at? Well, Abraham, he's stuck in Egypt. Yeah, he's got food. And he's gained a lot of wealth from this, which is awkward because Pharaoh gives him all this. Here's all this, you know, food and, you know, animals and all these things in exchange for your wife. And Abraham takes it. The problem in, in all this is that uh, his wife is now part of Pharaoh's harem. And so things aren't looking very good. I mean, this, this, we, he just got the promise just a few verses earlier. And the promise is already in jeopardy. So things are looking really bleak until we read the most beautiful words in the Bible. You know what those words are? But the Lord. Verse 17. But the Lord. I have a friend of mine who wants to write a book. And he wants to call the book, But God. Because there's so many times in scriptures, like, you know, we are enemies of God. We are far away. We are objects. Or we are, we are, and then we read, But God, because of his great love, which he loves us. Over and over again, we come across these words, But God. The Lord, the living God, intervenes on behalf of Abraham and Sarah. And what does God do? He inflicts plagues upon Pharaoh because of Sarah. And I love Pharaoh's response because Pharaoh in many ways is more righteous than Abraham. Pharaoh comes up to Abraham and he essentially says, what, why, go? What is this that you've done to me? Why did you tell me she was your sister? Grab your stuff and go. Get out. And so Abraham and Sarah, is kind of funny, they're deported. <laughs> they're deported out of the land that they're not supposed to be in. Now we need to see this. This is sheer grace. This is completely grace. Does Abraham deserve this? No. Does Abraham call out to God for help? Doesn't seem to be the case. And yet God extends his amazing grace to this couple. And it's a reminder that despite our foibles, despite our fears, despite how we stumble, it is God's grace that surrounds us at all times. That God is going to keep his plan on track. Now I want you to notice one more thing in this passage. One more thing. When he gets kicked out, they leave Egypt. Where does he go? Where does he go? Back to where he started. 
back to where he started. Exactly. He goes, he goes back to where he had made an altar at the first. And what does he do? He calls upon the name of the Lord. Now, why does he go back to the place where he started? <laughs> He's coming before God say, um, can I have a do-over? <laughs> I think that's what he's saying. So years ago, long time ago, um, I was in the, in the office with uh, Pastor Mark. Mark Francisco was the, the lead pastor here. And there was another staff member. He's, he's long gone. Um, and this staff member was really mad. He's mad at Mark, mad at everything. He's just mad at life. And uh, we're in the office. And this guy, this staff member, just tore into Mark. And tore into some of our colleagues. And said horrible things. And he was swearing. And he was yelling. And I, I just, just went, went nuts for about three minutes. And I'll never forget Mark. Mark looked at him. And Mark said, you know what? Every now and then in life, we wish we had a do-over. I'm guessing, just given some of the things you just said, that you wish you had a do-over. And remember the guy goes, yeah, can I have a do-over? <laughs> and Mark says, all right, start again. And he never held any of it against him. And I'll never forget that. And that's what Abraham does. Abraham comes, like, comes back from Egypt. Oh, Lord. May I have a do-over. And God gives him a do-over. And when I was looking at that passage, you know what passage came to mind? One in the New Testament story Jesus tells. It was this young guy who takes his father's inheritance and blows all the money and, and lives this wild life and then comes to his senses and realizes what he's done. He comes back and what does his father do? Does his father of his arms crossed and said, yeah, you little punk. No, his father opens his arms and runs to him and restores him. And we can't miss this. Because some of you are here today and recently you've acted out of fear and you've thrown yourself on your own choices, your own desire to kind of fix things and it hasn't gone well. And some of you may be thinking here today, oh man, there's no way, there's no way back. And some of you may be here and you come late and you leave early, you sit in the corner. And in the, in the back of your mind, you're like, man, if, if people here knew the things that I've done this week, oh man. Now I want to draw your attention to something really important. It's that thing on the wall. It's a cross. And there's a reason why the cross is at the center of the Christian life. Because it says, in Jesus, there are at least a million do-overs, <laughs> if not more. It means that all the things that we've done that we wish we hadn't have done, all the things we didn't do that we really ought to have done, all these things, all these things 
were paid for once and for all because of the cross. And because of the cross, because of what Jesus has done, we are adopted sons and daughters of the Most High. And at any point, we can come and draw near to the throne of grace because of what Jesus has done. There's a million and millions of do-overs. And some of you are thinking, oh, there's no way God will ever accept me. And you need to hear him say to you this morning, come to me. Come to me. I will restore you. I will forgive you. I'm the God of a million chances. And many of you here this morning, you need to hear that grace. And, and you need to not just believe it here. Oh man, you need to believe it here. This is grace. As Pastor Mark says, God is so loving, he can't help himself. But welcome you home. And so what I'd like to do is I'm going to lead us in prayer. But we're also going to give you an opportunity to respond. We're going to have, uh, I'm going to invite our, our uh, prayer team uh, to come up. As the worship team comes up, the prayer team can come up. And they're going to stand in different places just up at the front. And then if you want to spend some time in prayer, these are people that you can trust and that you can pray with while we're worshiping. If you wanted to just pray on your own or with a friend on the pew, in the pew, that's fine too. But some of you here this morning, you need to come home. It might even be coming home for the first time. But you come home and you come home with courage and with boldness because of the cross. You got that? All right, let's pray. Oh, Jesus, you say in your word, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We read that you are the God of peace, a peace that transcends all understanding, that guards our hearts and our minds. And Lord, there are so many of us here this morning that when things get difficult, we, we, we throw ourselves on ourselves or on our own know-how or our own ability to fix situations. And it hasn't led well. And so we come back to you, the author of life, and we say, have mercy upon us. Transform us, we pray. May we come before you and know that because of the cross, we have been forgiven and that we have been set free and as your word says, it is for freedom that Christ came to set us free. And so may we claim that freedom by coming before you today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.